Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Different creative people and how they do their thing is what I love to talk about. Today my guest is a returning champion, someone who did the podcast not too long ago, David Dean Bottrell. Uh, he's an actor and a writer, um, and I wanted to bring him back because he has a brand new project that is uh, just hit audible.com. It's an audiobook of his one-man show, David Dean Bottrell Makes Love. Uh, so he's been doing the show for a while. Um, Random House decided they thought it would make a great audiobook, so they recorded uh, a couple of performances in New York and turned it into an audiobook. And now this week in Los Angeles, he's doing the show live here. So I haven't seen the whole show. I've seen some clips but I'm going to go see it this coming Sunday, uh, the 8th. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I was excited to talk to David because he's a great storyteller. And the clips that I saw online were really provocative and interesting. And he's just a dynamite interview. So um, that's who that is. Before I get to that, I want to mention my website, DennisHensley.com. There you can see podcasts, uh, episodes are all archived. You can also see all the other things that I'm up to. Um, my Lifecast business, where I interview people about their lives, like your parents, for example, for a special anniversary. Get their story down in a very fun uh, format that is no stress, but that can kind of live on and be this audio heirloom for the family. So you can learn about that at getalifecast.com. And uh, you can also email me at Dennis, Hen uh, what is it? Dennis at DennisHensley.com. There's a lot of jargon, there's a lot of handles, there's a lot of screen names, there's a lot of passwords. I don't know how we keep up with it all, but um, yeah, I appreciate that if you want to check it out. Okay, without any further ado, here again is David Dean Patrell. Hey, I'm coming to you from a mysterious house in Hollywood, kind of by the Hollywood Bowl, with my guest today, David Dean Botrell, a returning champion to the podcast. You've, you've been on it before, but you've got something really exciting happening, and I wanted to talk to you all about it. Where are we? We're in a almost empty house <laughs> that belongs to a friend of mine. Who This is his kind of guest house. Thing, yeah. And uh, it's... It's lovely, but there's almost nothing in here, so that's why... It's, it's kind a little of, empty. It's a little empty. It's kind of an echo in the place. Yeah. So it sounds like we're recording in a cave. Yeah. But actually, we're right in the middle of the heart of Hollywood, right, you know, right near the Hollywood Bowl, and... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's fabulous. Lots of room. That's lots cool. Of room and you get to out. stay here. It's awesome. I know. It's really nice. It's very, very nice. Now, talk about what brings you to L.A. I am back in L.A. for a couple of reasons. One of them is... My show that I do, which is a one-man storytelling show called David Dean Botrell Makes Love, a one-man show, uh, just had a run in New York, and it was very successful. It was great. And now we're out here to do it for three nights at the Acme Comedy Theater in NoHo. And There's an Acme in NoHo. There is, yes. Which is good that you told me this, because I would have driven to the other one. I did not know there's an Acme in NoHo. Yes, there is, that is the only Acme. No. Yeah. Uh, the Acme on La Brea is no more. It is no more. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. It, it went away. There was real estate issues, as there usually are in most towns these days. Yeah. So the real estate issue, so now it is in NoHo, in this really nice space. Yeah. And so I'm going to go up there and do it there. And um, uh, and this is also partially to um, to promote the um, audiobook that Random House just made of the show. Random House came and saw it in New York, and they really loved it, which was great. And they said, we'd like to make this into an audio book. And I said, okay, but 
I don't want to stand in a studio, just me, right. and, and do this. Because part of this has to do with my interaction with the audience. So would, would you be willing to tape it live? And they mulled it over and said, we would love to do that. And they had never done an audiobook live before. We were the first one. Random House has never done that. They've never done it. You're breaking a barrier for Random House. I am. That little fly-by-night <laughs> outfit. Because I saw you, you have a little trailer for the audiobook and how yeah. you have your mic and you're doing it in the, in the studio. And the Random House um, contact your person there talked about how... Uh, it was new to do it in a theater. When you're doing something for posterity like that, as a performer, are you like, this has to be the best show I ever do? If I fumfer over a word, how, do you feel extra pressure? Um, you know, it's different. It's not right. like performing for a regular theater group that, like, you know, bought tickets and knew what they were coming to. Right. Because this is... And you just give them the experience and then it's over. Yeah, yeah. And there's no stopping. There's no... It's very specific, you know? Right. And, and with this... When you record something, there's a whole bunch of different rules that apply. Like, um, we couldn't use music, and there's music in the show. There's like right. background music and transitional music. We couldn't use that because they had to have a clean audio track for editing. Right. Also, if I screw up a word in a recording session, I have to go back and say that sentence again. Right. So the audience is told all of that coming in. So in a weird way, they're made, in my opinion, to be a little too aware of the fact that they're in a recording and right. they're, they're a little more cautious. So um, I had to cut, I had my work cut out for me to kind of warm them up and sort of remind yeah. them that even though this is a recording, we can edit it if there's a mistake or there's a problem. So don't feel, you know, don't feel uptight about this. Yeah. It should be fun. So uh, the, we did two shows, which is great because in the first show, I actually think I was maybe a little... Um, I kept thinking about, oh, this is being recorded. And I think I sort of was a little too aware of that and right. the way that I was delivering the show. So by the time I did the second one, I was so exhausted right. <laughs> that I just kind of let that one fly. Right. And everybody, including me, would agree that was a much better show. So that's the one that is actually really used. So the, the finished product is really one show. It's not sort of pieced together. From... It, it is. And I, they, they may have grabbed a couple little things right. here and there from the first show, but largely it is the second show. Uh, cleaned up a little bit here and there. But yeah, it was really fun. It was I love fun it. to do. Are you aware of things like, oh my gosh, that woman's got a crazy laugh. And she's... <laughs> I, have I, a, I have a friend with a crazy laugh and I'm thinking of him at your taping. Right. And how there would be a meeting and possibly, uh, you know, <laughs> some kind of an intervention <laughs> happening. Me? Uh, so a security guard like drag her out <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, that didn't happen at the Good. show, thank God. But right. I have had people with crazy laughs and I love people with crazy laughs. I think they're great because then when they laugh... People laugh because their laugh is crazy, and you get like two laughs for the price of one. So, and you don't have to worry about your outfit, really. That's true. That is absolutely true. That's so cool. Is it available now? The audiobook? It is. It's on Audible, and I think you can get it on Amazon as well, and certainly off of Penguin Random House's website. But it's everywhere now. It's available for purchase. Cool. The way audio has stepped up in the technological age because both of my novels were on audio, but back then it was cassettes yeah. and CDs. It was a very small market of people that would buy them. Um, but now, people listen to their phones all the time. I have an audible.com subscription. I listen to podcasts. It's really kind of a cool... It's one of the ways technology hasn't totally fucked me in the ass. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I was a little disappointed about is 
there is there is there are no cassettes, there are no CDs, there's no physical anything yeah. in this book. It just it lives in digital world. Yeah. So it's not like I can have a book signing or anything like that, or hand somebody a copy of it yeah. and autograph or something. That doesn't exist. It just is. It just exists. It's out there. Yeah. So just you get on your phone or you get on your computer and you find it. Yeah. So it's it's odd in that way that there's never a physical a thing. thing. Um, yeah, you want to sign something. I, well, it's it's it was fun actually. I it's mean, super fun. You know, I had the book last year. It was nice to go. Here's my book, and yes, you know, besides the thing, you have a box of them in your trunk. Yeah, you sell them on the corner. <laughs> um, the subject matter of the show, yes, it, it looks from the the little clips that I've seen that it comes at love from a lot of different directions. It does, and it's also something you started a while ago, so it's probably evolved. What was the big genesis of the show? Uh, the genesis was I uh, years ago started doing storytelling shows in LA, yeah. and there's there's several of them that I really loved doing. One of them was Sit and Spin, another one called Rant and Rave, but they're they're very they have great audiences. They're always packed, and they're very smart audiences. There are like a lot of writers in those audiences, and yeah. so. They don't just laugh at any old damn thing, you know. You, they have, you have to impress them if you're going to get a laugh out of them. And I, I was, I was asked to do one, and there was a 1,500 word word limit on the story. And I had an idea that I, I wanted to write about, which was this relationship that I had been in for 10 years with somebody who was an alcoholic. And um, I thought, God, that's not very many words. What could I, could I do it? Could I get the whole relationship into 1,500 words? And I decided to do it just as a challenge. And I pulled it off. I got it in there. And I took it to, uh, I think it was Sit and Spin first, and performed it there. And it went over like gangbusters. And you can read. You don't have to be up right, right, yeah. Okay. You can read in those in these shows. And it went over like gangbusters. It was just, I was astounded. And, and what I really was moved by was... There were these big, 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 big laughs because nowadays, there's, who, who doesn't know somebody who's in a 12-step program, you know? Right. And uh, then at the end, there were people who I could hear sniffling in the audience because the end of the story is not funny. It's right. truthful. It's just truthful. And so I drove away from that thinking, wow, that felt like it hit a nerve for a lot of us in that room. And I started thinking, how many love stories have I got? How many different kinds of love stories do I have? And I started thinking about it. I called up Comedy Central and I asked for a date at the Comedy Central stage. Right. And I went back and they allow you, I think the shows are about 45 minutes long, they'll allow you to do. So I came up with 45 minutes worth of material. And it again was just, we had an amazing audience. It really went over. People were saying, where are you going next? Where can I see this? Who can I bring to see it? And then about two weeks later, I moved it to another venue and I expanded it. And this all was going on probably about eight years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it had a run at various theaters in L.A. for about 18 months. And then I, I, I stopped that one. I did a second one. I didn't have a lot of time to do the second one. And I was start kind of getting busy with TV work. And I, and I kind of let it go. And when, I, when my book book came out, the book that I had published last year. Yeah, we talked about. What's it called? It's called Working Actor is yeah. the name of it. It's available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> wherever that is. <laughs> yeah. And... When that came out, I thought I should do something to help promote it. So I brought this show back. And I realized that I had changed a lot since I had done the show originally. Right. And I just started thinking, there's some more things I'd like to say, and I feel a little differently about things now. And so I, I wrote three new stories that replaced three of the major stories in the original show. So it's, it's different. The, the substance, substance of it is different. And it's a little darker than it used to be, but it's no less funny. It's just... I think I'm a little darker. You've been through some shit. 
you know, haven't we all, Dennis? Yes, we all have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it, it's a, I, I've been kind of amazed at the response. I mean, I got a great response before, but this one is sort of hitting people in an even a slightly different place. And I'm, I'm just, I love it. I love doing it. And I love what people say to me afterwards. It's, yeah. it's not just, wow, that was funny. Um, probably one of the biggest things that's happened is that people wait to talk to me and people sometimes I don't even know and they don't want to say, oh, you were so great. They want to say, hey, this happened to me. Or when you said that, I kind of thought I was the only person that had ever happened to. And what a relief to find out that I'm not. And so it's been, I've never done anything in my life artistically that's had this kind of response to well, it. Well, especially if you're acting on television, you're playing a character. It's not what you're putting, it's not, you're not the writer. So this right. is very personal. You're it the is. writer and the performer, and you lived it. Well, it's I a gotta, lot. I got to tell you, this is, you know, I, what attracted me to being in show business was being an actor, which meant I could hide out, or I thought I could hide out behind whatever was scripted and behind right. this character. And I always, I always played, you know, the weird characters with the accent and the hump and the limp and all that stuff. So I was well disguised right. behind Sex all bombs. that. Yeah, exactly. And, and then the, the idea of like being out there, me, you know, in front of people was never, that was never appealing to me. I never really wanted that. I never really sought the spotlight. And when I would see standups work, I would be filled with anxiety. Like if it was going great. How can you tell people that stuff? Well, not only that, I mean, I, as long as it's working and they're getting a laugh, I think, wow, congratulations, that was hilarious. But when they start to slip or it's not going well, I dated somebody who was a stand-up for a while, and I would go to shows that didn't go so well, and I would be, I would be ready to be hospitalized by the right. end of the set because I was so upset and anxiety-ridden by what I'd seen. And I thought, that's the last thing I'd ever want to do. And then when this happened, when the idea for this happened, I couldn't not do it. It was weird. Like when I started writing it, writing the stories, they kind of kept nudging me and kept saying, oh, wait, I want you to tell this story and I want you to tell this story. And they just kind of kept flowing. Yeah. And then the next thing I knew, I had this show. And then when I did it at the Comedy Central stage, I was great until I realized there were going to be people in the audience. And then all of a sudden, I got very scared because I knew a lot of people, like I personally knew a lot of people who were going to be there. Right. And then I thought, holy shit, I'm going to actually go out and tell these stories, and which are pretty blunt. And then when I was done with the show, I didn't want to leave the dressing room. Even though the show had gone very well. They, everybody had laughed and laughed and laughed. But I didn't want to go out into the lobby and look them in the eye because I thought, I never told you that story. I right. never told you that that happened to me or that I handled it that way or whatever. And I thought, they're going to think whatever they're going to think. I just, I felt like they're not going to look at me the same way. And the exact opposite happened in that I went out and I've never felt so embraced in all my life as I did that night. And so it's given me a little more courage. I mean, That's I got to, awesome. I got to tell you, I'm still pretty scared every time they say, Oh, it's five minutes and you're going to walk out there because it's me, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I didn't really sign up for this duty, but now that I have, it feels almost like a responsibility in a weird kind of way, um, to as long as this is making people as happy as it's making it, yeah. it's, it's, it feels like I would be a shitty artist if I didn't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? How meaningful has it been to have something that's yours, that you don't have to wait for permission to do it, you don't have to wait for the phone to ring, you're not, they like you, but they're going to go with this direction or whatever. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I, um, 
it's been kind of great. The, the, before this show, I had done a play in New York um, that I'd had a lot of trouble with the script. Yeah. And I, I had really become that actor in rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I was constantly questioning everything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, it was hard. It was hard to sort of make some of that feel truthful. It was hard to own a lot of that. And what's great about this is it is mine. It, I, it is, I'm saying it the way I want to say it. And if I decide to change it, I can and uh, that happens some nights. Some nights it comes out of my mouth a little bit differently. Right. Um, and it's nice. And it has certainly evolved. I, I've gone back and looked at the original script and realized, wow, you, you don't say any of that anymore. You say something very different now. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it is nice to have a sense of ownership in that way. And I'm almost, at this moment, I guess I shouldn't be saying this out loud on a podcast, but I'm almost more interested in saying my own words now than I am saying someone else's. Why wouldn't you be? It makes it, it feels it feels like you're communicating more directly. Um, how has it intersected with your Hollywood career, or with your? Um, do people come and see it, and then then get you auditions, or does it exist in a different world, or how do they intersect? We're about to find out because yeah. uh, I have been, as you know, living in New York the last few years, and I've only come back here <clears throat> occasionally for jobs when I usually would self tape in New York and then fly in. So I yeah. had. I haven't kind of been in the mix with this show here. Long ago, when I first did it, um, my manager was trying to get you know industry people to come, particularly casting people to come, because that's what all actors yes. are seeking, are casting people. And uh, she said, here's how the conversation goes. I call them up and I say, David is doing this hilarious one-man show. And the casting director would say, so it's just David? There's nobody else in it? And my manager would say, yes, but... And they would stop her and say, you know what? I don't need to see that. I know David. I love David. I don't need to come and see that. And so, it, it, in, the, in its first incarnation, it didn't, like, I got great audiences, but they weren't necessarily professional people. Right. Now, it's funny how when a company as big as Random House comes in and buys something, yeah. how it changes the oh, equation. somebody else that I've heard of is interested. Yeah. I don't have to be the first person. Somebody validated it. Somebody paid money for it. And yeah. so now suddenly it's a different entity. Oh, so, let's see what Random House exactly. is up to. So I have kind of gone out and made personal invitations. And yeah. I'm surprised at the number of people who are coming that I do not think would have come yeah. otherwise. But that's okay. I, you know, I think all of us are a little bit affected by that. We all want, well, value our time. And right. We don't want to get stuck in something that we're going to hate. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a validation if somebody thought, oh, well, this was, you know, worthwhile. This is, this is funny. This is smart. This is something. So, but also the landscape has changed for where things like this could go with all the streaming and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you noticed that as you've been putting this together? I have noticed that. And especially with the explosion of streaming services yeah. that happened. And and also just what's not that whole landscape. I remember when it when it first sort of happened, like when it, well, I say like around two thousand around the time of the writer strike that everybody was crazy about, like, oh, yeah. what's gonna happen? We gotta protect ourselves and everything. Back in what, two thousand six or whenever that was. And, and like, I just did this digital show with friends of mine called After Forever. Yes, right? I, I've seen it. I've uh, had Kevin Spiritus on the podcast. Isn't he great? He's yeah, great. Yeah, I haven't seen the second season yet. Are you in the second season? I am. Fantastic. I am in the second season. Okay. Um, and I have more lines. Good for you. <laughs> were, you the per- were you that actor on the set? I was. Um, I was that actor. Thoughts? Did I just improvise something no. here? <laughs> 
I am Random House of Friends. <clears throat> exactly. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that came about just from friends. A bunch right. of friends said, let's do this. And I, you know, I, well, I should say that Kevin and, and uh, Michael, who wrote the script, they initiated it, but they invited a lot of us into that process. And it was delightful. It was so much fun to do. It was very professional. They really had it together. The script was good. And I didn't think that much about it, other than that was a cool little thing to do. And then who knew that now there's a category at the Emmys for digital series and actors in digital series. And the first season wound up winning five Emmys. And so now we did season two, and we're hoping to get nominated for more Emmys, obviously. But it, it's kind of incredible how that landscape is so different now and taken yeah. much more seriously. Did you go to the Emmys? I did not go to the Emmys. Yeah. I was actually busy during that time, but a bunch yeah. of people did go from the cast. And I might go next year. But I'm, that's assuming we're going to get nominated, which I'm sure we will. Any day now, those nominations will be out. You're the incumbent. <laughs> You're the Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I am. I am, or we are, I should you say. You are. Um, um, but, yes, that, that plus, like I said, who doesn't have a streaming series now? Who isn't yeah. producing something now? I was driving down um, Sunset or something the other day, and I saw some series, and I thought, oh, what network is that on? And it said Facebook. Yeah, so that's Apparently now Facebook is now, yeah. like, who, I guess yeah. anybody with a billion dollars can have their own TV series now, their own network, I should say. My friend Danny and I have a running joke where we create a streaming service that doesn't exist and try to convince people that they need to get it. It's only four ninety five. It's called Sporkle. They have the best <laughs> stuff. And so we've started creating shows that are on Sporkle. They're doing some stuff in the reality space now. Uh, also some, some sort of family dramas. Oh my god, it sounds great. It's really worth it. Even if you just watch one of the shows. <laughs> yeah. So Sporkle is, is where all my dreams go to die. That's um, great. I love it. You were married. I was. I did not know this. I was, yes. In New York City or in Washington, D.C.? <clears throat> I was married originally in Boston, but I lived yeah. in Washington, D.C. during my marriage, yes. Yes, and this was when? This was a while ago. This was back before it was uh, available nationally. Right. Uh, my partner owned property in... Uh, in uh, uh, what state is Boston in? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Thank you. <laughs> Were they first or was Vermont first? Vermont was first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Massachusetts was not too far behind. Right. Um, and so this was uh, this was in 2005, I think we got married. Yeah. Um, in there. And then we, you know, because we he owned property there, it was a legal marriage. And we were able to then live in D.C., which is where his work was at that time. And I was commuting to Los Angeles to yeah. still writing screenplays or kind of writing screenplays at that time. In my life, but yeah, I was, and then my marriage came to an abrupt halt, um, which was very unexpected, but it did. That's in the show still, because I saw the clip from that section, and it was like, I don't want to give away too much, but like, there must have been this feeling of like, I've got it all. It did, it was. I've got it all. It was. You know? It was. And this, I'm living my, you're living your best life, as Oprah would say. I was. And then Boom. And then boom. Yeah. Um, I used to, uh, and I think I talk about this in the show, I lived in this beautiful, beautiful condo that was in an 1880s, um, totally refurbished building. It was gorgeous. It was just beautiful. And I, I was flying first class back and forth from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles because I was still in show business at the time. I was married to an attorney who was in the, in the patent world, patent litigation, who who was, you know, doing amazingly well. Right. And I just thought, I, I, this is it. 
I have, this is everything. Like I have mastered, I have control, I have control of the world. What do I even put on my vision board? (laughs) Exactly. What is there to do? And it was, I used to slide my key in the door and think, I can't believe I even live here. Like, I can't believe I live in Your this house place. Your house had a key card thing? Or was it like a... It was an actual key in the okay. door. Okay. Uh, but it... I, went, I just, when I walked in, I just I would think, is it, I live here? I live here. I live in this yeah. house with this gorgeous man who's, you know, this wonderful, esteemed attorney. Really? He was genius. He was a brilliant guy. Um, <clears throat> so brilliant, in fact, that it's one of... Well, I won't give it away anymore for the story. But anyway, it was a very tough... Thing because that's that's part of that story, and then there's another part of that story, which was the journey that I was going on personally about what am I doing with my life? Uh, like, at what point do I maybe aim towards something higher than just writing screenplays that don't get produced? Right. <clears throat> and um, so that's there's a lot of things that happened in succession that kind of caused that story to happen. But at the time it was going on, it was uh, no it was no fun. It was quite a big loss when it happened. And oddly enough, the original version of the show was written not long after that. Yeah, well, it was pretty fresh. <clears throat> it, it was, and but that story was not in the show because at the time that I wrote the show, people said, oh, you're gonna put, you're gonna talk about your divorce, right? And I was like, you know what? My divorce is not funny yet. Yeah. Um, maybe in five years my divorce will be funny. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> So there's it, there's some funny things about it, but it, that that particular story is kind of like the Mount Everest story that I tell in the show. That is that is the longest story. It is the biggest kind of emotional arc. Yeah, um, well, I just feel like the stakes are so incredibly high, even from the clip that I saw. That do the people that are in your stories know about the show? Some do. Yeah, some do. Um, um, my uh, my ex who. Um, was an alcoholic, uh, he became, well, I actually called him and told him about the show because he was picking up a little steam. Um, and I just said, I wanted to let you know what's going on here. And I said, I don't know how I feel about you coming to see it, but I'm happy to send you the script if you want to know what this is. And he said he didn't want to see it and he didn't need to come to the show. And it was all, you know, in the past and all that. And then a couple of friends of his came to the show and then um, he ceased oh to return my phone calls, and I have not spoken to him since. Wow. So, um, that's life. How long did it take you to get over that breakup? <clears throat> the tenure or the, the marriage? The marriage. Uh, it, I, wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think for both of those, they, hmm, the tenure one um, was... To this day, probably the most difficult thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. Like that, I and didn't that know. That was before the marriage. That was before the marriage, yeah. And I didn't know, I just thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life. Or I really, after 10 years, I thought, well, this is it. Yeah. So when that came to an end, that, there was a very big shock wave that I, and I, and I was the one who brought it to an end, but there was still a big wave of getting, I don't know, I felt like I'd like, I was like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Like I was in this new, I was suddenly single, I was uh, pushing 40 at the time. And I didn't know any. I didn't know the world. I'd been out of it so long, you know. Yeah. And so that was a strange one. <clears throat> this one was quite a bit different. Um, and it really, uh, I can't even in this, even in the story. I don't think I really 
fully explain how bad that was, you know? Yeah. Uh, because I, I came back to Los Angeles with nothing. Like I had no money and I, I had really lost everything. This was after the tenure. No, this was after, after the, the divorce. divorce. That was a much I think that's year. around the time that I met you and got to know you a little and, and what you were up to and yeah. that short film that you made. Yeah. Um, that short film was made immediately after the divorce. Yeah. And it, yeah. it was called Available Men, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it really kind of creatively got your juices flowing, but sort of like opened the world up again. Oh, it, it totally did. It totally did, which is kind of the miracle of art in general, which I'm sure you know as well, yeah. how, what this feels like when you take, well, when you live through something and you think, well, what do I do with this? Yeah. And then fortunately for people like you and me, we can take that this and turn it into something, you know, yeah. eventually, maybe not instantly, but there'll come a point at which you, you will find a way to use that to create something. Yeah. You know? Available Men was about people meeting for the first time, like dates, mm -hmm. like online date things. And there were like four guys I remember. Yeah, yeah. And it I was, think I know them all. It was, you do. I'm yeah. Sure. It was two blind dates. Yeah. Uh, one of which was a business meeting. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a blind date. And the other one was a blind date. And the two partners mistake each other ah. and wind up sitting down and having a conversation with somebody. Uh, one of those individuals thinks they're on a business meeting. The other one thinks they're on a first date. But so it's two two groups, yeah. of two pairs of men who both don't realize they're talking to the wrong person. Right. And um, and it, I'm unbelievably for the 15 minutes of that film, neither party ever picks up that they were talking to the right person. But each of them learns this kind of big valuable life lesson out of it. So I was really proud of it. It was a really funny little movie. And it's you, um, Brian Gaddis, an actor. Richard Rucolo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Jack in it? Who's... Uh, Jack is me. Oh, I'm Jack. not in it. You're not in it. That's why I'm confused. Okay. Jack is playing the role that Jack I Potter. thought I was going to play, yeah. and then I decided I didn't want to play it, and that I immediately thought of Jack. And there was another actor named Costas Summer in it, okay. who is like the Brad Pitt of Greece. Oh, like my He's in the country God. Greece. That's amazing. Yeah. He's this very, very sexy, amazing guy. Yeah. And he was in town uh, in L.A. looking to see what he could find in L.A. And a friend of mine knew him and introduced him, and he stepped into that part. Yeah. And he, you know, and he, when you point a camera at that guy, man, things happen. There you go. <laughs> I think a lot of times when people undertake short films, they're, they're doable. But you sort of hope that something could happen. And it's not often that it does, but with yours it did. It did. It changed a lot. It changed. I, I had a new agent. I had a new writing job. I had kind of a new career. And for a little while, I was, I didn't even like, it started to make the rounds at studios. And I remember I was called in for this meeting at this, for, for the studio. I think it was at Paramount somewhere. And I went over and I thought it was about a writing job. And so I was sitting there just kind of waiting for him to get around to saying what it was he wanted yeah. me to possibly write. And he kept talking about the film and the, and, he's, and and out of the blue, I realized I was not there for a writing job. I was there for a directing job. Oh, wow. I know. And I, That's great. Right. You I, directed I, it. You deserve <laughs> it. Well, I said, I said, uh, is this like, are you serious? This is right. like a directing job? And he goes, of course I'm serious. Why would I call you if I wasn't serious? And I was like, oh, okay. Then in that case, I'm serious too. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, you know, that, that thing you directed that I saw at the film festival, that was funny for 15 minutes consistently. You know how few people can pull off 15 minutes of consistently like laugh, 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 laugh? There's no, they, of course, that's why people want to talk to you right now is because of that. So it changed everything. It that's changed, awesome. Did, did he offer you the job? 
Um, there was no job to offer. Like, yeah. At the moment, there was no project, but right. he wanted to sort of find me a project or me to bring him a project or something. But it was for me to direct, and that I didn't even know. I really didn't guess that. But it was lovely. I mean, it changed a lot of things. It really did. And, That's um, so great. It was great. It was really great. Was it playing in gay festivals and straight festivals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it played in 130 film festivals. That's awesome. It was. It was amazing. It played around the globe in 130 film festivals, and it won 17 awards. I love it. Did I you know. make money on it? A little bit. Right. I did. I mean, it was released sort of as part of a collection of short sure. films. I made some money. I didn't make the money. I mean, it wasn't it didn't cost that much. Honestly, yeah. it was it was a truly a backyard project. I think I spent maybe I want to say I spent like seven thousand dollars on it all told. Yeah, um, and I could, maybe I made that back in the end, but it was uh, yeah, it was like amazing. It was amazing. It's one of those lucky things. Is and, it available online to the stream anywhere to watch? Um, you know, I don't know. Actually, it's it's through Wolf Wolf yeah. Films. It could be on Sporkle. Sporkle. It, it probably Sporkle is. is it's probably playing like every fifteen minutes <laughs> on Sporkle. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory. I'm, I'm wrestling with some thoughts, and I think you're going to have some input on this. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like if content is gay, and I'm not talking like hardcore or anything, but like a romantic comedy or whatever. Yeah. That to people in the business, it's almost like you didn't make a film. It's like you made something else. Right. Like a hat. Right. Or a macrame plant holder. Like right. they don't... And so I'm, sometimes I'm wondering if... My resume would be better with if those things weren't even on it. Like if they did not even exist. Right. And that could be just sour grapes because maybe if they were really good, then it wouldn't it wouldn't be that true. But I've noticed it in friends' careers as well. It's like people I, I know a f um, a filmmaker who made a really great feature. Right. That played on a lot of gay festivals and was well received, did well on Netflix, didn't open any doors for him. He wrote another spec script that that had a little more mainstream appeal. People loved it, bidding war, CAA, whatever, and now he's on track to direct it and they're looking at talent. And his own reps, when they talk about it, might say, oh, well, um, this actress is great and she loves working with first-time directors. And he's like, I'm not a first-time director. Right. Like, it didn't even happen and these are his own people. Right. And so I get really upset more for other people than my own. But I'm like, oh, there's something afoot here. Yeah. And I don't think it's moral. I don't think it's about, oh, gays are sick and gross. I think it's like about money or something. Or like, they must not be that ambitious so they wouldn't make this niche thing. <laughs> right. Do you get right. what I'm going at? Um, I do. Um, years ago, <clears throat> I used to, um, I was one of the founders of the, of the um, I can't think of anybody's... Uh, what's the name of the film festival here in town? Outfest. Oh, thank you so much. I couldn't come up with that. I was going to say Newfest. I knew that wasn't right. That's New York. Outfest. I helped found their screenwriting lab. Yes. And I was one of the mentors. Yes. And each year there were new people kind of coming in. I mean, new new mentors coming in. And some of them were uh, gay writer filmmakers who had done gay films that had won you know prizes in gay film festivals, et cetera, et cetera. Some had been in other festivals besides gay festivals. But those people largely were still having to work other jobs because right. their projects did not generate enough income for them to live. Right. There were other gay writers who were in that process who uh, were as gay as any of us were, but they wrote projects for studios. Yes. And it was an interesting mix of people. Yeah, you could probably tell <coughs> like the ballet line or like in the parking lot, which was weird. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. You tell by the watches. But, uh, but I, I think that the talent level was not different. I think they were no. probably all just equally no. 
talented and worthy. It, it's um, there was a kind of a thing that happened, at least in the film festival, the gay film festival world, for a while, where uh, there was all this energy into you know I must I must make another film to go on this film festival. It just the circuit was all you were thinking about, just the film. Because the, cir the circuit is really fun. It's exciting. I own the fact that I I love that world. Me too. I love Give me a short film, send me to the Fresno Gay Film Festival. Right. I'm happy as a fucking clown. Me too. And it's a blast. So I own my part of it. Oh my god, it's um, a blast. And yeah. when it's over, your visa bill comes in for all the booze you bought in Fresno, <laughs> and there's no, <laughs> there's no check from yeah. any distributor to yeah. cover that. You yeah. know what I mean? So it, it it is what it is. But I do think it's very different now. I think it is different now, I and do. I think I'm a little bit like. Oh, I've got to get with the now, or am I? Is it too late? Am I too old? All that stuff. Um, but uh, but I also I see it I see it with other people too, and it, and it kind of bugs. But I do feel like it's changing now. Yeah, no, I used no. to think the the more personal projects that I worked on that were gay themed were net neutrals on my resume. Right, right. And now I'm sort of going. They might have been negatives. Somebody mm. might have seen that and go, "Oh, he doesn't care about money," or mm. I, they might have been signaling something. I don't know if that's true. Oh, I, I can tell you it's true. <laughs> I can tell you that's true. Something, um, or I also thought, well, I don't need everyone to get on board, but maybe one or two people will go, oh, that guy's funny. He could write for this kind of thing. Or, right. Like, whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. But I do think it's changing. I do, too. I do, too. I mean, I, I, I was late to the game of watching Pose. I just never yeah. got around to it. I finally started watching it, you know, binging it. And I kept thinking... I can't. I couldn't. Fuck, I couldn't fucking believe yeah. it was like that. Well, it was you know Ryan. Ryan can do anything, but that that was a show that was being watched and was being renewed and was going somewhere. And now again, because they're not so dependent on just things playing at the at the mall, like yeah. movies playing at the mall or people or shows they're going to run on network ABC television. Or ABC, yeah, it it really is a different ball game now. Yeah, and so the idea of having a niche market is not so crazy anymore. So, yeah, and it, but that said, I think the competition is pretty fierce. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, the the I think you if you're going to come in and pitch something, you really do need to think who's who who can I attract to watch this? Like who's gonna yeah. who's gonna make the numbers or buy the product or whatever it is or tune in or rent it or whatever it is that's going to happen. Yeah. So it's download it from the cloud. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, but it is a new. I think it is a new day, and it's not. I, I mean, you can't watch any television show anywhere. Yeah. Longer than six episodes, that there won't be a gay plot line. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what the show. No, is. for sure. The most mainstream show, six episodes tops before some gay person walks in there. Some gay plot line occurs. Yeah. you know. So in that way, it's kind of wonderful. You know? Yeah, and, and I also think actors aren't as tormented about am I out? Should it be out? Like I don't feel like there's as much wrestling as there might have been back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I... I do you teach acting some? I, I do. Yeah. I do. You might see I it. only teach acting homosexuals, though. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> I, don't, They're the best. I don't accept any straight students no. at all. They've got all the ups already. <laughs> I do teach acting. Plus, you don't want that shoved in your face. You I, know? I do. And I must say, it's a... It's a uh, I teach acting... Uh, I teach it privately, but I also teach at a, at a conservatory. And oh my God! In the time that I've taught there, have the times changed? You know? In what ways? What do you observe? Well, in, uh, I mean, well, there's there's like exercise work that, that people do with it, just these improvised things, and there's also like scene work that we do. But the way, but people are are the the young people that are in that program are so much quicker to say, "Well, I was out with my boyfriend the other night." I'm talking about male students or female students. I was out with my girlfriend. Like it is, 
is right there. There's no, I was with a friend of mine or right. I, I was this, this person that I'm dating. It is right there. No, no they don't hesitation. feel the need to. No, not at all. Create some kind of not at all. Of themselves and and I want to tell you, I feel what a relief. I feel a little proud to be a part of the generation that helped them be able to do that. I think you so too. Um, but they can do it now, and it's kind of great. And we yeah. also have all kinds of people who are, um, you know, non-gender specific, non-binary students as well, who are kind of appearing in my world. Um, so I'm learning how to say they, them, and theirs, right. which is kind of a new thing. Where's your conservatory? At? It's in New York. It's the American uh, Academy of Dramatic Arts. Right. It is the oldest acting academy on the planet. Wow. It was founded in 1884. How are the toilets? Are they old? Are they okay? <laughs> we have outhouses, actually. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if this is, this, this is the oldest acting academy, but literally it hasn't changed? That's a good sketch. It is a good sketch. It's funny. People are still doing their work. Exactly. Absolutely. They're doing all of it. Um, I haven't seen the whole show of David... Dean Butchall makes love. How much is dating in LA a, a part of it? Um, it is a it is a part of it because uh, part of what strings the show together uh, are these kind of Match.com stories that yeah. I, I tell. And then uh, when I did it originally in LA, there was a lot of LA in it, and yeah. now it is a little more diverse. There's LA in it. There's New York in it. There are, there are places that I lived before I lived yeah. there. There's a story in DC. So it's 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 spread out in the way that my life has taken me. So it's a little a little more, I would say it's it's a national show. I like <laughs> it. it goes from coast to coast. Does LA have its own dating quirks? Oh my god, yes. And what oh are my they? God. Oh wow. Oh Dennis. Here's um, my take. One take. Please. You're not just dating the person. You're dating their dreams. And you're oh dating how they feel about their dreams and how their dreams are going. And wow. yours. Wow. That's Which really... is the thing. I think that's something that La La Land got, which I appreciated. Yeah. Which I hadn't really seen depicted before. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's true in other places as well, but LA's full of dreamers, you know? I've heard that. Um, yeah. I, I, that's, that's great. That's really on the money. I, what I always have said about it is that it's a, t- a town... Not completely full, because there are people who are from L.A. who are happy to be here. This is where they've always lived. They, they're not so much sucked into this. But there are a lot of people who come here to redefine themselves in some way. And that's, uh, that's easier said than done, you know? They're going to reinvent. They're going to be somebody else. <clears throat> well, they're going to try to be. Yeah. And uh, I don't think anybody realizes quite how hard that is. They think, oh, I'll just change my address and my wardrobe, and it's done. Yeah. And then uh, you may be coming in trying to convince everybody that you're the, I don't know, the most, the most hot, the most amazing, the most whatever. And then somewhere along the line, you're going to, like, wipe your mouth on your sleeve, and everybody's going to know... Oh, you're just some white trash person from Ohio, right? And that's part of who you are, and you're really never going to lose that, and that's really never going to change. But yet, that's that's something that you're trying to hide or or make or pretend like it never happened. Or it's maybe not the best way of explaining it, but I will say it's very akin to what you're saying. Is if you if I if I start to date you and I start to see who you really are as opposed to the image that you're trying to Mm -hmm. portray to Los Angeles, if I start to see through it, you will dump me. Really? Yep. You will dump me and go find someone else. You'll start over. That's been my experience. Interesting. If I in any way see through the veil at all about you know who you you're actually are. You're not even judging the veil. You're not even judging what's behind it. You're just seeing it. And if I do that, 
before they're ready for me to know that, I'm history. I'm gone. Interesting. That's my experience with it. And then the other thing was, one of the reasons I moved back to New York was I was absolutely, I had reached an age where I was absolutely invisible as a gay man here. Mm -hmm. Invisible. And even the men my age that I would try to date were only interested in younger men or younger looking yeah. men um, because of the absolute terror of not being sexually attractive in Los Angeles. It's God, that's the worst, it's a fate worse than death. It's worse than cancer yeah. is to be sexually unattractive in this world, at least that yeah. I, I ran around in. And I, I kept feeling like, I don't feel like I'm dead. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't feel that way. And yet I go, I go out and it's I like, still go to hip hop class. Well, there you go. Lately, I've, lately, I've been hearing like in the last couple of weeks a lot of these sort of observations that when you when you hit forty, it's over in this area or that area. Which is why I'm so glad I'm past my forties, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because now I'm at the pace where everything good does happen. Right? No, but the forty was the, sort of the breaking point. Or whenever you'll get the Writers Guild magazine and they'll say there's an article on this woman and she finally had a breakthrough at thirty three. Finally, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, boy. I know, isn't it gross? Isn't it gross? <laughs> no, but good for her, but it's kind of like, you you, you got to put some denial about some things and, and uh, not buy into certain things and just kind of keep going, right? Well, I moved, and, uh, and I moved to New York, and sure enough, uh, I've been in a relationship for two years now that's fantastic. Rock and roll, I think you told you. me about it last time Thank you. I'm... I'm 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 the happiest I've ever been in my life, and I I have the nicest guy, who he's just fantastic. He's, I, I won't go on and on about it, but I'm having a great time. As is he. We're both happy. Everything's grand. It's not. It's it's Where'd you him? On, the, on this thing they have now called the internet. Wow. It's kind of like a TV with mm -hmm. a typewriter attached, <laughs> right? And you just ask for things. Right. <laughs> Next, and thirty minutes later, they're at your door. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of what happened here. <clears throat> God bless him. You know the boxes that we all sort of have. Did you want to check this box and check yeah, this box yeah, yeah. and all that? He was none of those boxes, not one of them. Yeah. And um, he wouldn't go away. Yeah. He would not. He kept coming back. And I finally just said to myself, "I'm having a great time here. Why am I trying so hard to get rid of him? Yeah. Why am I and fighting? Exactly. And so it's great. We're having a great time. That's all I can tell you right now. And one of our favorite things to do is live in the present. And wow, is that a great thing? Who knew? That's Who knew awesome. That? It's pretty amazing. What does he think of your show? He actually, he was a little scared. He's not in show business. Right. And he was a little scared when I first told him about it. And his right. first question was, am I in it? Yeah. And I said, don't worry about it. You're not in it. I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah. And um, the nice thing he about... He should be over the closing credits like at the end of Rocket Man <laughs> when you finally meet David Furnish. You know? And right. look... Yeah, it all exactly. Out. It did work out. I, in yeah. my bio for the show, that's the last line of my bio is that I'm currently in love, which is yeah. kind of great. Uh, he actually, I mean, I I had all cards were on the table, but for both of us, you know, so there was nothing, you know, there's nothing too shocking that he heard. He hadn't heard all the details of things, but yeah. nothing. I, he, he is a great fan of the show. He's terrific. He's been seeing it far too many times. Have God you come to him. LA with him? Have you brought him out and shown him all your old stopping grounds? I have not, uh, yeah. because of his work schedule and my work schedule. We've never been in LA at the same time. He actually is very East Coast. What does he do? Um, he mean? works in the. Uh, he was in the toy business, although now his company is kind of shifting to the game business, the gaming business. Nice. So he's like all over the world now, doing that for various trade shows and things like that. So um, he, he gets. Uh, we're always kind of in a struggle. Do you to get find free stuff? I do get I, I, stuff that I do. 
that's not my world so much. Yeah. I mean, but he comes back with things that he's like, look at this. This is yeah. a... And I'm like, wow, it's shiny and that's amazing. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I'm glad you're happy with yeah, it. Yeah, when it all goes to hell, we can sell that shit exactly. on eBay. <laughs> um, what have you learned about love? Mm, that's a good question, Dennis. From writing the show and living your life. <clears throat> wow. Um, I think that... I've learned a couple of things about it. Uh, I've learned to not give advice about it. That's one thing for sure. Right. Uh, but on a personal level, I have discovered that if you're not happy without a boyfriend, you, we will not be happy with one. That's very interesting. It's the truth. It is absolutely the truth. And somebody once, else is not going to make you happy. No, not really. I mean, they can they can bring you know cool things to your life for yeah. sure. But at at the base level. Uh, you've got to be okay on your own because until, especially if you're, uh, you know, if you're in the prime of life as you and I are, um, you, what you have to offer is something very different to a relationship. It's not just like, Hey, look how gorgeous and flawless and cute and firm I am. There's a lot more you're bringing to the party now. Yeah. All of which is great stuff. It's great stuff, but, uh, it's a different market. You're, you're the way that you meet people and the way that you interact with them and what you what you want out of it changes too. Yeah. And I guess what I learned, I, that was really the big takeaway was I thought after the divorce, I thought, you know what? If I don't meet anybody else, it'll be okay. Like if I died today, God forbid, yeah. plenty of people would be at my funeral and I will have been part of their lives and they were part of my life and there was plenty of love to go around. And it's not like I never had a relationship. I did. And yeah, you got to have the experience. So I did. Yeah. I did. You know what? And um, I can say that there are great things about being in a relationship and there are great things about being single. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, okay, yeah, the scorecard is even. Now. Yeah. It's even. I don't have to worry about this anymore. So if someone emerges, that's great. If they don't, I'm okay. I'm yeah. all right. And no sooner did that happen than somebody emerged. That's awesome. Yeah. I, w- I haven't been in a lot of relationships, but I, but I was so grateful that I was in... One that that had, you know, that lasted a few years because it was great, but it wasn't so much greater than the other. So you're not waiting for when's the great thing going to happen to me. Right. It can be great, but it's not, it's not a 10 and everyday life is a three. No, not at all. Single life is a three. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, I, one of the things I like about it, I grew up in a house full of people. Right. You know, I had, we had a lot of people around all the time. Everything, everything was shared in my house. Yeah. And so when I when I became sort of grown up and lived alone, it always seemed a little odd to me to like open the door and there was nobody else there but me. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it was really just that. It's like, isn't shouldn't there be some other people here, you know, like right. to talk about or to hear what went on with them? And I think the fun of it is you kinda of, if it works, you know, if it's a wheel that turns and it and there has to be like chemistry and there's gotta be some common values and stuff like that. But if it if that happens it's kind of like you get two lives for the price of one in a weird kind of way. You get sort of your life plus their life, and it's it's an easy mix at its best, you know? Yeah. Uh, when it's, you know, if, if it isn't destined to be, you'll know pretty soon. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Thrilling. It is I, thrilling. We did not pick any cards <laughs> oh, God from damn before, it. but let, I'm going to ask you a few anyway. Sure. Since you mentioned toys, yes. what's your favorite toy as a kid? Oh my god! Oh, the first thing that popped in my head was my Legos. I love Legos. Legos are the best. Oh, I love. Have them. you watched the Lego reality show? I have I not watched it. I have not. It's not on Sparkle. You, it's not <laughs> one of the other channels. But here's what's interesting: 
when I remember playing with Legos, they were so limited. Yeah. Like, there wasn't even green Legos. Right. And now you look at some of the stuff and you're like, wow, I didn't even know those pieces existed. Oh, but I could play for Le- I could play with Legos for hours. Me too. I yeah. love them. I yeah, absolutely love them. Yeah. What item that you lost, misplaced, or had stolen do you most wish you could have back? Oh, my goodness. Um, wow. I, I had this ring that I loved. And it wasn't an expensive ring. It was just this really pretty silver ring that I bought for myself after my divorce. I love <laughs> and it. I bought because I took my wedding ring off and I got rid of that. And I, I just bought a couple of rings that I just put on my hands because I liked them. And one I really loved. And I accidentally lost it somewhere. And I, I, I bet you once a month I, I think about that ring. And I've not replaced it, but I should. So maybe I will someday That's soon. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, I think, because I gave it to myself. Yeah, and it symbolized something. It did, sort of. It sort of symbolized uh, that I kind of loved myself, which sounds weird. Right. But, it, but I do. It's the now. greatest love of all. It is. Whitney Houston once said exactly. that, didn't she? Exactly. What gift that you received in your life do you most vividly remember unwrapping? <laughs> I, um, it wasn't unwrapped. It was too big to wrap. Oh, um, wow. Uh, I... Um, Oh my God, there's several of them. I, I was a very kind of freaky child. I'm sure you can figure that out by now. But I, uh, I wanted a mannequin. Wow. Was it a store mannequin. And I asked for one. And I got, when I was 13, and my, my parents saw one in a garage sale. And they bought it for me. And, uh, and they gave me this mannequin. And they didn't realize that I had a lot of sexual feelings about mannequins, which is... That may be news to you, Dennis, but yeah. I, as a child, I had a lot of sexual feelings about men. As one of my recent guests said, you can't, your fetishes pick you. You don't pick your fetishes. Right, right. but I did. Yeah. Like when I walked by a store, as a child, when I walked by a store window and all the clothes were off the mannequins and they were naked, I, that, I was so turned on by that. I can't Male tell and female? Either one. Yeah. Either one. This was a female mannequin. Yeah. And I sort of um, used to kind of have sexual experiences with this mannequin. Fantastic. <laughs> they had no idea. <laughs> This is the next one, one person show. It, it is a, I, there is a story that I haven't written yet about something that happened with that mannequin that I'm going to tell soon that was a, quite a story. Because well, next time we do this interview, I'm going to say, what's going on? <laughs> Working title, oh, mannequin. What's going on with a mannequin? Um, Sounds Irish. That's amazing. So they gave it to you. It was there was a sheet on it. There was like a bed and sheet you over. Pulled the sheet off. I pulled the sheet off. And did you just lose your mind? I did. I did. There were some people. I forget who was over. Like some of my cousins or something were over for this. I think it was maybe thirteen years old or something. And some of my cousins were over or something. And the mannequin, by the way, they're super heavy. Or at least the yeah. old ones were. Yeah. And so I had to kind of like take it apart to haul it up to my room. Did it have legs? Yeah, it was a full full, full body mannequin. mannequin. And I, I had to kind of take it apart to get it up there, and then there was this like sort of iron piece that sort of held her up when she was standing. And I, I took her up and I assembled her on my bed. I can't believe I'm telling this, but anyway. And I took off all my clothes and I laid down on top of her. Like while my guests at the birthday party were like downstairs. <laughs> at the same time? Yes, at the same time that they oh were down there. Oh my God, I'll be right back. I, because it was like, it was so overwhelming. Yes. That I finally had a mannequin. A big naked mannequin, and it was like it was cold and it was hard as a rock. Like it wasn't any way like yeah, a no, warm, sexy thing. It. But I just I remember just laying naked on top of that mannequin while I heard people downstairs like eating my birthday cake. <laughs> and you're like, I'm good. <laughs> How long did you stay up there? 
longer than I should have. Longer than you should have. So when you first said that, I thought, oh, you probably wanted to dress them. But that wasn't the deal. No, no. interesting. There was a very So when, when in between, like, if I were to walk in your room and there was a mannequin, would there be clothes on it? Never. There was never any clothes on it. There was never any clothes on it? No. Oh. I eventually bought her a wig. <laughs> also at a yard sale. <laughs> did she have a name? She probably did. I don't remember it now. I bet if I thought about that, or I, I bet I could think remember what it was. But I, I'm sh I probably did give her a name, but I don't remember it right How now. How cool of your parents to give you a mannequin. The, well, I was a weird kid. I was yeah. always asking for weird shit. I, I asked when I was a kid for uh, a subscription to TV Guide when I was like... Oh, yeah. I, I, I was that. What I about asked, when the fall preview would come in? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was oh so God. exciting. I'll see you people in a week. <laughs> Dennis, I went. I went into my bedroom. I took off all my clothes, <laughs> and I lay down on the fall preview TV guide while the people were having cake or whatever they were doing. Um, Dennis, I used to when the when the TV guide came every week. I used to read it cover to cover like it was a novel. I'm yeah. not kidding. I, I sat yeah. and read it. Oh God, it was so fucking weird. Jesus. I and I got to write for them. I didn't do a lot oh, wow. for them. Yeah, but I wrote the Will and Grace cover story. Wow. And I, it was a moment of like, oh my God. That's amazing. I wrote the story on TV Guide. That's really amazing. I remember the first yeah. time I saw my name in TV Guide. I yeah. was like, oh my God, I'm in TV Guide. Turn this, it's yeah, getting, turn great. It's getting dark. I'm going to wrap really, it up soon. I can't really see this Have you ever <laughs> typed your name into like a DVR search engine, like direct You know, like, you know how you can type an actor's name? Oh, I haven't done yeah. that. I haven't done that. It's kind of like Googling, Googling yourself oh, okay. on a television. All right. But I guess anything that comes up that you're listed I, in. I know people have done that yeah. for me, or like relatives and so forth have like found obscure things yeah. that I was in on TV. How has New York been in terms of TV acting? Uh, New York uh, TV acting was great when I first got there. Yeah. Uh, I think I was the new guy in town. Right. Um, and it's been a little less great lately. Uh, but that's coincided, actually, with my desire to write this book that yeah. I told you about. And also my desire to do this show and to do some other writing yeah. projects. So it's been okay. And then what – and it's been fun to do – you know, I've been – After Forever is, is a TV show, but it's a digital TV show. Right. So I don't think any of us are going to retire on what we made on that show. Yeah. But it's, it's sort of one of the goals for the new year is for me to get a little more um, – I think I'm going to say proactive on that because I, I have new management now. So yeah. I think we'll – I think that's going to change a bit. Have you done a Law & Order? I, uh, I did do a lot of order. I played a homeless man. Yeah. <clears throat> homeless I think man. you're not a New York actor until you've done at least one Oh, certainly. Order. And I was also, and I was a, a Viennese train conductor on uh, Blacklist. Ooh, with James Spader. Yeah, I had a scene with James. It was nice to see yeah. him. Um, we had worked together on Boston Legal, so That's it was right. nice to see him again. You had that amazing arc. Yeah, it was really fun. Really fun. Do you get recognized from things? I do. What is it that people always say, or is it different? Um, it's it's a little different. So, it's, sometimes they don't know where they know yeah. me from. So then they'll say, I know you from something. What what have you been on? Right. And then I'll start listing shows. And they'll go, no, not that, not that, not that. And it's, it's this little exercise I call death by resume. Yeah. Until finally I just say, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what you know me from, but I was on something that you yeah. saw. Uh, and I still get stopped and still get um, thing, letters and stuff with about um, Boston Legal. Yeah. Because it's endlessly being rerun on some, on Sporkle and other. I'm sure Sporkle really won that bidding war, <laughs> you know, for Boston Legal. Oh, right. They have the Shatner fans from Star Trek, <clears> so exactly. it works out. Exactly. Um, this is a total side note, nothing to do with your career. Mayor Pete just dropped out of the race. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on Mayor Pete? 
I loved him. I loved, I him, loved too. him too. I could watch that video of him talking to that kid. Yeah. Uh, I should know that kid's name by now. I've watched it so many times. The nine-year-old that came out. Yep. I could watch that on a loop. I just, like I just sob on the toilet. Yep. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I from a political standpoint, because somebody else dropped out today. I think Amy dropped Amy, out. Today. Amy Closer. <clears throat> I talked about it like I knew her personally. They, Amy, they dropped know? out because they, they love each other so much they're just going to run away together. <laughs> they should have to How do sad. They should have to do a, a a a buddy cop movie or something where they hate each other but they're stuck together. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You know? um, I think uh, you know two, Super Tuesday is fast upon us. It is obviously. This may air after that. I don't know. It's and I felt like I was actually kind of proud of the two of them, you know, Mary Pete and her for taking themselves out yeah. because uh, it narrows that a little bit because it's time. It's time for us yeah, to figure it out. Felt who, like, yeah, if they saw no path, right. then maybe it's the best thing that they do that. Yeah. I think so. so. And I anyway. think that uh, I think what he did was extraordinary. I mean Extraordinary. When you think about it, he went from, oh my God, this gay guy's running to ho hum he's gay. Like right. like right. that. Right. Right. And he did that because he was so good at his job. And everything else. Yeah. He, uh, I, I mean, I know that, like every, every person, there's some things rattling around in the past that people are not happy with. And I'm sure yeah. that yeah. they have reason to be unhappy with it. Yes. But at the same time, what he did, coming from being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to being a contender to be the president of the United States in yeah. a time that happened, it reminded me of Obama. Yes. Because I remember thinking... Well, I'd seen Obama at the convention, but I thought, Who, where, where does he get off, like, running yeah. for president with this little experience? Yet, he was an extraordinary president. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I thought, wow, what if? And it was so, the way in which that happened, and when he went to Iowa and got all those, you know, Midwestern people to, like, get behind him and all yeah. that. I, I, I said this in my blog post, or not blog post, my Facebook post or my media post. I said, you know, for a brief minute there, it almost seemed like America again. Do you know what I mean? That's awesome. It really did. It seemed like, wow, if if you have the guts and the goods... And the talent. And the talent. He was really talented. He was very talented. Like when A.B. Klobuchar was like, we're sorry we can't all be as perfect as you, Pete. It was like, well, she's just pissed because he's talented. And, you know, right. and then, I'm sure they, there's things on both sides, but like, sometimes, not that people would discount that, but I think those skills transfer to governing. I do. I think it's not like oh you're just flashy, but you don't. You know what I mean? Like they certainly I think, did with Obama. Yes. And, you know what I mean? And I, I think I believe the same. I, mean, I think they transfer. They're not. They're not. We're not just being um, one over by superficiality or what what have you. But well, anyway, yeah. I think the good news is he will be back soon. Yes. He's going to be back soon. There's no. You don't make a debut like that and then retire. No. So he'll be back. I mean, and Dancing with the Stars is an option. <laughs> or maybe Chaston does Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Well, something on Sporkle, yeah. I mean, at least a uh, for sure a talk show on Sporkle. Maybe if nothing a reality else. show <laughs> reality where they we tie we blindfold them and put them in an department store. I don't know. I just <laughs> somewhere, in, somewhere in South Bend. Yeah, uh, listening. And the other thing, which is a, it sounds corny, but to be a, an LBGTQ child, kid, teenager, and to see that. Is uh, how extraordinary and how I perfect, mean, you know. I think whenever any of our politicians talk about gay issues, whether it was Michelle Obama, she would say something like, "Or where you're from, or how old you are, or who you love." Before love is finished in her mouth, I am crying. The second 
it's visceral. It's yep. like that. Yep. I could be driving. Yep. If a politician or somebody shines a little light, yep. it's not, I don't, uh, it's not conscious. Yep. Yeah, and I think he had a lot of that for me with those, those experiences. So, yeah, so it's an interesting time and it's pretty exciting. But, uh, yeah, so I can't wait to see what he does next. Me too. Whether or not it's Dancing with the Stars, I'll be fine. <laughs> I will be fine. Um, since you're an acting teacher, this will be one of our final questions. Okay. Who was your most impactful teacher? Oh, well, that would be my acting teacher. Yeah, William yeah. Esper, uh, who I just lost. I didn't lose him. He passed away um, about a year and a half ago. <laughs> maybe, with, maybe he was with your ring. <laughs> I didn't misplace him. <laughs> but uh, he, and I, and I hadn't studied with him for many years, but I had gone back and, and seen him and visited him from time to time. But I, I, he was so impactful to me for this reason, because he was, he was a very big, forceful personality. Do you know what I mean? He was, he was a, someone to be reckoned with. And he had in, impeccable, I'm going to say taste, in the sense of knowing what to say to student A, which was going to be different than what he said to student B, and when to say it, at what point to say it. He was incredible at that. And I knew it even when I was in his classroom. And now that I teach, I really appreciate that from him. And the other thing that was so great about him for me personally was coming from where I had come from, and I think it was true for a lot of the students, he was the first adult, well, not just adult man, adult period, who ever endorsed what I wanted to do with my life, Whoever, who, who took me seriously, encouraged me, helped me. And didn't say this is a horrible idea. Right. And never said it was a horrible idea to yeah. be an artist. It was a terrible idea or a stupid idea or I'd never make any money or any of those horrible things. He actually endorsed it. And I remember when we sort of graduated, we were allowed to have a little, you know, private audience with him to sort of ask our final questions or whatever, get our final evaluation. And I remember I got there and his lunch arrived just as I arrived. So he was like eating while he was, sure. I was like asking him all these, I was saying all these ridiculous things because I wanted to impress him. And Talking about, you know, how I was going to try to do more checkoff or whatever, which yeah. I've never done since. Right. But anyway, I was just trying to impart yeah, to him how much, yes. you know, how much I, this mattered to me and all yeah. that. And he, I remember him like taking some bite and I guess he just had heard enough and he like sort of wiped his mouth and he said, listen, don't worry about it, okay? Because you're talented. You're a real actor. You're a real actor, David. It's going to work out. And I, and I, I've never forgotten that moment, you know? Oh my God, exactly. I know, I know. It was, it was, he was, I never had anybody like him in my life, Is personally and professionally. After college? Like, where were you? I was probably uh, 21 or something. Well, this was your college program. Well, there or was no, I didn't was go it? to college. Oh, it was actually, an acting, it was an acting. <clears throat> yeah. I totally skipped. Well, I, did, I went for a little while, but it was not for me. I'm, I'm not right. a college graduate. Sure. But this was something that had an end to it, right? Because yeah, it yeah, it was a two-year program. Two-year program, and, okay. uh, and it was the end of it. And it, it made, it changed everything. Uh, I mean, I walked out of there thinking, if he says that, then it must be true. So therefore, that's what will happen. And it is what happened. And it'll carry you through the low points. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it did. It absolutely wow. did. It was, but the biggest thing was the endorsement of somebody who was a parental kind of person, do you mean? Who, uh, and who had, he didn't have to say any of that to me. Yeah. Like, he didn't. He could have just said, good luck or whatever, it's all yeah, going to be fine. Salt. But he really did sort of, like, pay attention, I'm talking to you, it's going to be okay. He gave you what you needed. And then some. Yeah, you know, and so he remains that, that guy for me. I mean, he probably always will, but I, and, and for many, many, many people. Right. Um, I, I did a, 
I did a TV show a few years ago with Kathy Bates. And it, uh, Fantastic. And, yeah, it was wonderful. And I, I had four scenes with her, and it was great. We were like adversaries in the scenes. And she was wonderful. And one of the scenes, as happens sometimes in TV, was not... It, it just wasn't written perfectly. And so we were having a little trouble like making it work. <clears throat> and we did a take of it. And I looked over at her, and she kind of like you know shrugged. And before we did the second take of it, she leaned in. And by the way, she had the same acting teacher as me, Bill Esper. And we had discovered that when we were chatting. So before the second take of this kind of tough scene, she leaned in and she said, let's do this one for Bill. And I said, that's a great idea. And so we did. We like really like tuned into each other and listened. And it was so much better. And it was really impactful. And we skated right over what our problems were with that scene. And it was lovely. It was really beautiful. What was the show? Harry's Law. Harry's Law. Yeah. I mean, I think Sparkle... Sparkle. I should get the name straight. That could be a great show. What an amazing story about Kathy Bates. It was great. It was oh great. Oh my gosh. It was lovely. really lovely. So much fun talking to you. Same you're always here. so thoughtful and, and you tell, you're a great storyteller and I relate to so much of the things you talk about. Tell people how they can listen to your show and how they can come see it in LA because I'm going to try to get this up in the next Oh, great. So, okay. Yeah. So we are, are there still tickets available? Yeah, there are. Okay. Um, we're doing shows on March 6th, 7th, and 8th. That is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and did I say March? I said that, right? March yeah, 6th, 7th, and 8th. <laughs> yeah. So 2020, just in case. Yeah. Uh, at Acme Comedy Theater in North Hollywood. The, uh, the website is acmecomedy.com. Um, if you want to investigate the audiobook, which is also called David Dean Botrell Makes Love, it's available on Audible and other fine places on the internet. I might use one of my credits. Would you? Oh my credit. God, Dennis. I have a few racked up. Thank you. How long is this as an audiobook? It's about, it's about two hours and tw 10, 20 minutes or something. That's kind of awesome because on an audiobook, you want to give a little more. Whereas yeah. on stage, you're like, we, 90 minutes is the max, yeah. you know, like... So you you can go a little more if you want. Yeah, we did. We did uh, the show is seventy five minutes long, yeah. and then um, I did an interview with the uh, with the audience and answered some questions. And then I also went into a studio and I taped, I think four or five bonus track stories. So it all that's how it turned into being, you know, a little longer than the I show. I love it. It's great. I'm really proud of it. Awesome. I'm really, if, really proud. If of it, it existed as a real thing, I'd have you autograph it. <laughs> But maybe you can write your name in the sky. I will do that. All right. So people should come and see it. I think I'm going to go on Sunday night. Yay. Um, so final question. What do you hope people get from it? Mm. Or what's something that they, <clears throat> they told you they've gotten from it that meant a lot? Um, I think that um, it's, a, it's love. Like it's this subject that's been studied and, and written about and songs and poems and plays and movies and everything has been written about this mysterious thing called love. And to this day, nobody knows how to find it, how to keep it, or what to do when it goes away. And often, we take that very personally, as if we're the only people in the world that doesn't know, that don't know what to do, you know? That we feel kind of stupid about that. Everyone else has it figured out. Right. And the thing that I enjoy probably most about the show is how relieved people are after they've seen it that they heard some version of their story at some point during this show. Yeah. And that they feel like, great, how great, I'm not the only one who's still kind of blundering around out there. That makes me feel really proud, really proud of the show. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see the whole thing. Congrats on everything. Have a great run here. And uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Dennis. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to David Dean Betrell. If you're in L.A., go see his show this coming weekend. 
And if you're not, you can download the audiobook at audible.com. And uh, there's a lot of bonus stuff on there as well, not just the straight show. Uh, David said there's there's some other fun stuff that they added, so check that out. All right, uh, so this happened. This past weekend was my friend Jeb Haven's birthday. He's the co-creator of You Don't Know My Life. And uh, he has a cousin with a place in Santa Barbara that is often empty. So he's been inviting Jeb and his husband Stephen to go check it out. And so for Jeb's birthday weekend, uh, a few folks went out there to hang out at this house in Santa Barbara and celebrate Jeb's birthday. And I was among them, and it was so lovely. First of all, the house is beautiful. It's kind of up on a hill. It's it's an old house that feels like a murder mystery could happen in there. Um, but it's just gorgeous. The landscaping, and uh, it was it was super beautiful to be there. But then we just sort of hung out and played games. And I, this was the weekend I rediscovered all these things that I used to love. I will now list them. Doing puzzles. There was a puzzle that was done, and... I was one of two people to stay up till 2 a.m. to finish that damn thing, and I'm very proud of that. It reminds me of growing up, and my puzzles were something I used to do with my mom, and that was always really fun. Puzzles are awesome because anyone can do it. You don't have to be good. You can just sit there and try, and it's just this great meditative thing. I, I kind of feel like I want to have one going all the time, but I don't really have a good table set up for that in my apartment, and I have pets that would probably eat the pieces and then shit them out. But anyway, I love puzzles. What else did we do? We played a bunch of games. We didn't play our own game, which is which is good, because uh, we got to try all these other ones. Um, there was a new one called When I Dream, which is kind of like Password, and people are giving clues to try to get you to guess the word, but some of the people are lying intentionally. So it's kind of interesting. I enjoyed that. Uh, catchphrase is fun. That's that thing that you... It's, it's, like, it's like giving clues like, $25,000 pyramid style, but then you pass the the little buzzer thing around with the words and then whoever it, it dings on. Although I think it should squirt water or confetti or something. I think it, or shock you. I think it needs to be more punishing. I blame Ellen for that sadistic streak that I now want to add onto this game. Uh, we played code names, which is super fun and strategic. And, and uh, I brought my $25,000 pyramid game, which is how Jeb and I bonded in the first place six years ago. We played a few rounds of that. Uh, suffice it to say, I still got it. I can crush that winner circle. I can crush it. Uh, it's so good. What else did we play? We played a game that Jeb's developing, uh, a, a fun game. I don't even know what the name of it is, but it was fun. And they played Azul. I didn't play that. Uh, I, I don't know. There were some other ones, but I can't remember. Anyway, it was such a fun weekend. Oh, and there was a piano there. And so I play piano, but I don't play very much, and I haven't played in a long time. And it was a little grand piano, and I just sat down and 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 reconnected with that passion. That isn't much of a passion. It's not a passion if you never do it. But um, the other thing that I learned is back in the day when I was a kid learning piano, I would go and buy sheet music of all my favorite pop songs. And I was so into it, you know, and sometimes I'd make them order it. You know, and uh, all of that stuff. And now in the internet age, you can just find stuff online. And there was this, Jeb told me, Jeb is a great musician, and he told me this this app that you you can download and then just find the sheet music. It's not full charts, but it's like the chords and stuff. So I was just bringing up all my favorite songs and clunking away. Uh, but it was really like, oh, remember this? The whole weekend was like, oh, remember you used to like to do that? 
Uh, we did a little 20-minute uh, yoga class in the hallway. Um, there was a lot of eating happening because Stephen is a chef and is fantastic at that. So, I don't know. It was just like the most rejuvenating, fun trip. And so I'm really uh, grateful that I got to do that. All right. That's enough for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.